Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Security Token Show, episode 25. This is our first episode of the new year. My name is Kyle Sondland, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig Koenigs. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. And for those of you who are new, just a friendly reminder or introduction here. Kyle and I are the founders of Security Token Group. Kyle runs our media company where you can learn about all the latest STOs, news and secondary trading data called Security Token Market at stomarket.com. And I'm the CEO of Security Token Advisors, our consulting arm to help issuers and investors understand and apply security token technology. And as always, we like to start off our show with what we call the companies of the week, where we like to highlight those companies that we feel are advancing the space the most during that week. Kyle, who is your choice this time? I'm very excited to dig into my company of the week. Uh, this week for me, it's, it's Mount Pellerin. And Mount Pellerin is based out of Switzerland. And they are an issuance platform. And, and like some of our friends here in the US, they've built their own standard for issuance and compliance for their security tokens called the Bridge Protocol. And we've seen some examples of this, like Securitize's DSO or TokenSoft's ERC-1404. And just like many of these other standards, Mount Pellerin has elected to launch it as an open source protocol that allows any developer to see the code and build on top of it with whatever infrastructure they see fit. So Mount Pellerin has seen success in tokenizing their own equity, which they actually did in 2018, providing full ownership of equity shares in the company via the MPS token And they just recently announced an upgrade to their original Bridge protocol, this one being Bridge 2.0, which is allowing an expanded set of different options for issuers, allowing build rules, specifically dictating how a token can behave and allowing an issuer to set rules. We've seen examples of this like whitelists, but also you're talking about different jurisdictional rules and how these can operate between different jurisdictions, different, different governance standards. And so they also launched an interface that supports voting and dividend collection, as well as peer-to-peer swapping for their investors so that they can have options for liquidity and have also had their protocol audited by a third-party firm, Chain Security. And so they did just announce this Bridge 2.0 protocol recently. And the reason I'm giving them Company of the Week is because I love that we're building these international standards that are open sourced because the reality is it, it doesn't make sense to keep a lot of these initial things proprietary. If we're trying to work with exchanges, international governments, and every piece in between, it is important that we are confident in the work that we're doing and also making sure that it's, it's as open for others to join in and participate as possible. So Mount Pellerin is doing a great job. They're, they're a leader in, in the European space for, for tokenization. They've already tokenized their own equity. I also like that they've built their interface to allow for liquidity options. And then finally, I do think it's, it's crucial to have smart contracts audited by smart contract auditing firms because what we did see in 2017 is a lot of these projects kind of rushed out of the gate to launch their code and deploy the projects they had been working on. And and when you have issues in a smart contract that automatically executes what you've built it to do, if it's automatically executing things that are not correct, obviously that that can cause quite a few headaches. So I think it's a great thing that they've been audited. They, They built it with high quality. And I'm excited to see what other assets they onboard moving forward. Seems like they certainly have all the functionality one would look for in a security token uh, protocol. And, you know, I, I can't blame you, Kyle. Just last week, I was giving the company of the week out to, to Ravencoin, which is another open source protocol, but focused primarily in the U.S. Uh, so, you know, I totally understand your logic here. And I do think it's a nice touch. You don't hear that often, especially on the open source side, having a third party firm come in to do an audit on the code. You just don't hear that a lot. So it's nice to, to get that sort of re- re- reaffirmation from a, a third party. So congrats to the Matt Peller and team with their Bridge V2.0 launch. Absolutely. How about you, Herwig? What is your company of the week this week? 
Well, this week, and mind you, as we're going to get into the new segment, it was a bit of a slower week, but uh, I thought I would take some time to acknowledge a team that has been very helpful to the entire space. I want to give a shout out to securities.io. Securities.io is one of the leading news sites when it comes to security token content. Uh, and news coverage, interviews, and much, much more. In fact, I did a little research, Kyle. Uh, you know, our community contributed news source site on stomarket.com slash news. We've actually had over 500 articles submitted to the site since we launched. And almost one in every 10 articles comes from securities.io, just to give you some context as to how much content these guys are producing. So I want to give a shout out to Joshua Stoner, Gene Dayev, Antoine Tardiv, David Hamilton, and many of the other great contributors to the site. You know, just keep up the great work, the great journalism, and I'm looking forward to, to hearing all the latest news from you guys in 2020. So it's great to be back for 2020, where obviously we do this podcast weekly. It comes out on Tuesdays. And this episode is, is going to be our first episode of 2020, and, and the theme here is that we're going to cover our, our predictions for 2020. And, and then maybe at the end of the year, we can look back and compare what our thoughts were at the beginning of the year versus what really ended up turning out in, in the end of the year in 2020. Just kind of like how we did with the uh, two episodes ago, we did a rundown of 2019 and all of the big institutional events that happened. If you haven't checked that episode out, I believe um, it's, it's two episodes ago and you should certainly do that because the, the rundown of the 2019 episode is one that we've gotten a lot of great feedback on. A lot of people that don't necessarily stay up to date on the security token space on an in and out day to day basis. That was a super helpful one for them to learn more about just what exactly happened. What was the smart notes for 2020? And so this one, I think it's a little bit more fun to, to look moving forward and we'll get into that. But before we get into that, we like to start off with our industry news. So Herwig, what happened this week? Absolutely. I'd love to dive right into it, starting with Qatar. Qatar, actually, the Qatar Financial Center Regulatory Authority, the QFCRA, has prohibited trading in cryptocurrencies, adding that the ban has been imposed on, quote, anything of value that acts as a substitute of currency that can be digitally traded or transferred and can be used for payment or investment purposes. Hmm. So this is essentially an outright ban on all cryptocurrencies, utility tokens, virtual assets, and the like. However, digital forms of securities or any other financial instruments under the purview of the QFCRA, the Qatar Central Bank, or the Qatar Financial Markets Authority will still be allowed. So in a nutshell, ban to the cryptocurrency industry, but promo to the security token industry, fully legal, uh, and looks like there is definitely some excitement for it. You know, we're looking out for more statements from the QFCRA to, to get more details on that. But it's great news. At least they recognized the differences between the digital forms of securities and the crypto space. A lot of times these things can get kind of lopped together. And the reality is that with security tokens or whatever you want to call it, we're really just taking real assets and allowing them to be owned, fractional, fractionalized ownership as well as international trading um, and just making these things more available to more investors. And so it's, it's a good sign. It is kind of an odd timing, though. I mean, there hasn't been a ton of crypto news over the last couple of weeks or months, so maybe this is something they've been working on for a while, but... Um, Presumably so. You know, it's not an uncharacteristic stance by many of the other Middle Eastern countries. In fact, the UAE is really seen as the only pro-crypto uh, country in that region. Hmm. But of course, as you said, it's a great thing that still to acknowledge the fact that digital securities technology is still something that the country is excited about. Definitely. Moving on, we have a little information about one of the largest ICOs in history, over $1.7 billion raised in the form of an ICO uh, in exchange for what are known as GRAM tokens in the famed Telegram ICO, of course. Now, for those of you who don't know, Telegram is a Dubai-based six-year-old messenger app with 365 million users. The app was actually very popular in itself amongst crypto communities. With at one point in time during the ICO craze, Telegram group size becoming actually a recognized signal <laughs> of demand for, for an ICO. I so remember that. That, you know, that goes to show you just how much of an impact they have now. They, they of course, as a result, had a very, very hot ICO, raising them $1.7 billion. But the SEC is investigating the company for violations of a sale of unregistered securities 
And the company does, of course, not playing ball. Earlier in October of last year, the SEC, in fact, halted the issuance of grams pending this investigation here. And now uh, it turns out that the company itself is not cooperating whatsoever. The SEC requesting bank records during the time period with the, the company responding saying they've changed banks and they don't have any access to the records anymore, which, of course, the SEC has responded quote-unquote, saying that it is unfounded and deeply troubling. <laughs> uh, certainly not something that I think you want to, to have in, in a case with the SEC against you saying. But, uh, in fact, there's a deposition with the company's CEO coming up on the 7th. Uh, so, for sure, I'm sure we'll get some feedback on that and give you guys some coverage on uh, next week's episode. Yeah, so today, as of listeners, we yeah, it'll be out. We'll, we'll definitely cover that next week around. Further issues may also arise for the company because it turns out in a statement, uh, in a tweet by the, the CEO, that the Gram token will no longer be featured in the native Telegram app. So instead, they will be building out a separate blockchain infrastructure and platform and hoping that a third-party community will help take over development. And I imagine, personally, Kyle, that I think this will probably upset a lot of people because <laughs> the expectation certainly was that there would be, if you, if you would call it immediate adoption, thanks to the overnight rollout to the hundreds of millions of people of the, the blockchain token. So the fact that that's no longer going to be the case certainly would expect a potential impact on the value of these tokens. Now, if there is no expectation of increase on these tokens because it's not meant to be a security, it's not an issue. But I imagine a lot of people are, in the, are upset, and specifically the SEC is here to represent U.S. citizens. So for those of, of those that are, uh, you know, they'll have a very strong case, and I think we'll, we'll certainly find out sooner than later if this starts to look a little bit like an EOS case, in which case, for, for those of you who don't know, EOS raised also in, in the billions, uh, but only ended up paying a $4 million fine because most of their investors were outside of the U.S. But then there are other cases, such as the SIA case, where they are a U.S.-based company, they were found uh, in violation and ended up having to pay back more in fines than they ended up raising in capital. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to see how the SEC ends up uh, moving forward with Telegram. But the fact that Telegram is not a U.S.-based company uh, and the fact that they are not complying, I certainly think, won't help their case. Uh, but it certainly makes things all around a lot more trickier. Kyle, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one. I just can see how you'd be frustrated as an investor in the ICO just because aside from from everything, I think the biggest point is that I'd be frustrated that you know, the reason that you bought into this thing, the reason that anyone thought this was the only, realistically, let's, let's not beat around the bush, the only reason they raised $1.7 was because the idea was that, oh, they immediately will have 365 million users. And this is going to be fully integrated inside of that platform. We saw a lot of ICOs raise a lot of money, but we did not see many ICOs raising over a billion dollars. And so the only reason that that really happened is on the back of Telegram. So the fact that even despite this SEC investigation, which they're not cooperating and they're clearly trying to fight, even in spite of that, they still have announced that they're spinning this thing off into a separate platform and doing X, Y, and Z. In fact, I think I read today that they haven't even guaranteed that they're going to build out the platform. I think that they're looking for third parties wow. to help them build this together. And there's, there's all kinds of phrasing like there's no guarantee and X, Y, and Z. And it's like, man, that would be pretty frustrating. I certainly wasn't a, what, did not participate and none of this is investment advice or, or anything along those lines. But I can see how that would be frustrating for investors because of the fact that, that this is almost was sold as literally something totally different than what it's becoming. Um, and uh, I can see how that'd be frustrating, but it's going to be interesting to see how the, the suit plays out because as you mentioned, they're not based in the U S they're based out of Dubai. There's, I, I don't know how much the SEC can do or will do. Um, and I don't know how much Dubai, the Dubai government will, will, uh, you know, communicate and, and, uh, assist the SEC in the U S in, um, in this this process. So it'll be interesting. It's going to be one of those, I think, similar to the Ripple case, similar to the Kin case that we've discussed before. These things just drag out over a long period of time. Um, but maybe the deposition will give us some additional insights. So we'll have to we'll have to definitely look out for that and give you the update. We'll be sure to let you folks listening know. 
Next up, we have some more relevant kind of news to that where we have a law firm actually being sued by its clients regarding bad securities advice. So according to a report in Bloomberg Law, Digital Capital Management filed a complaint against the legal firm on December 31st, claiming that a Fager Baker Daniels gave the company erroneous legal advice as it was preparing to launch a fund focused on investing in the digital asset space. The complaint stated that Fager Baker Daniels gave incorrect guidance to the company with regards to its obligation to register with the agency under the Investment Advisor Act of 1940. In a cease and desist order, the regulators, in this case the SEC, alleged that despite the fact that the fund was legally an investment company, it would have to pay a 200000 civil penalty to settle the matter because the fund was not registered with the SEC, and they believe that the firm you know, is on the hook for giving improper legal advice there. And this is a pretty big deal because we've seen a lot of cases like this come down. We've seen a lot of judgments come down from the SEC where in situations like with Kik, the, the tokens that were responsible were indeed deemed securities. And therefore, there is this concern that anything in the past that is you know, potentially a security might actually be a security. And therefore, the lawyers who may have given out opinion letters or advice regarding the subject were actually wrong or maybe unintentionally you know, giving bad advice there. So uh, th this causes a whole mess because law firms may look to the SEC and, and uh, try to fault the blame there due to the lack of official sort of rulings or clarity around the concept of cryptocurrencies and security tokens and the like. Uh, and nevertheless, you know, law firms may have realized now that they may be more on the hook than they thought when they were taking on what looked like traditional sort of securities clients and, and got a little bit uh, confusing or interesting due to the, the concept of security tokens. In this case, it seems like it was definitely uh, even more so a uh, concern around actually just bad legal advice because this was reg in regards to a fund registering with the SEC, not even in regards to a token meeting the Howey test or anything like that. So I'm not familiar with the specifics of this, but I imagine that we're going to see more and more examples like this one surface in 2020. The reality is we can't understate the fact that Securities law is no joke. You need to take it seriously. You need to find good lawyers. You need to be responsible. And uh, if, you, if something feels shady, then it's probably not right. You can't hurt to be overly compliant and, and be totally sure that what you're doing is legal and allowed because we just are, this is not going to stop. We're going to keep seeing more and more of these firms and, and individual actors that are just going to keep getting hammered by, by the crackdowns and... and you know, part of it is just because a lot of people got screwed, and uh, and so yeah, it's it's a shame, but but uh, I'm I'm not surprised. Case in point, both from the previous article and this one, whether you're an issuer or an investor, definitely we always recommend consult an attorney if possible uh, regarding any of this stuff. Absolutely. Finally, we do have a couple of opinion articles to check out. Luke Falempin is the CEO of Tokeny, which is one of the leading issuance platforms in Europe. They are based out of Luxembourg, and he recently did an interview on Crowdfund Insider. They do a really nice review of the company, how their tokenization process works, as well as the technology that they have developed to support issuers of all kinds. And it's worth noting the company was selected as KPMG Company of the Year in 2019. They've won our Company of the Week award before as well. And they actually raised $5 million from Euronext, which is one of the leading global exchanges, I believe the sixth largest in volume around the world. So, of course, they are uh, an issuance platform to keep an eye on, especially if you're considering issuing security tokens in Europe. Definitely check out that article. And the second one is by Juan Hernandez, who is the CEO of Open Finance, which is one of the leading security token marketplaces here in the U.S., which currently has five trading tokens, and there's an expectation of many more to be listed soon. Catch up on his thoughts and predictions in an interview on Outlook 2020. You can find all of the articles that we discussed today in the description of wherever you're listening to on this podcast, or you can go directly to the source at stomarket.com news, where you can find out even more information as well as uh, engage with other community members and comments and the like, and even submit your own news that you come across. Uh, and please, please do that. Please join us there. Uh, at STM. And that's my news segment. And as always, we follow the news segment with a market update from Kyle here featuring the latest STOs as well as going over the secondary market data. So Kyle, I'm eager to hear what you've got for us. 
Thanks for the intro, Herwig. We do have one new STO this week, and it's from Relio, R-E-A-L-I-O, as well as YAD Capital, Y-A-D Capital. And they announced a, a kind of a joint partnership where they're raising $5 million in a tokenized fund on the Fusion blockchain. So Relio is an issuance platform. They're actually based out of New York City. And they've partnered with YAD or YAD Capital to tokenize their $5 million fund. According to their recent press release, the fund will be tokenized on the Fusion blockchain with active participation and tech support provided by the Fusion Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization founded by that, that Fusion team that supports infrastructure for decentralized global finance. And so they are looking to, to have digital assets in their fund that will be purchased through Relio's platform, and there will be an automatically generated as native Fusion tokens that access many of the benefits of the Fusion protocol um, that they're providing. And so it's, this is kind of what they said in their press release, and it sounds exciting. I think that there's a couple ways you could potentially interpret this, but if they're looking to have a fully digital asset fund, that's pretty exciting because that, that provides increased demand for tokens that also might explain why their fund is small. I mean, $5 million certainly is a small, very small fund. So maybe they're looking to put some money into exploring digital assets and, and exploring you know, how this portfolio might look. In terms of, of generating as native fusion tokens, I'm not quite as sure on what that will look like. We certainly will have to see as we move forward. But again, this is only a press release and there wasn't any additional information on when the offering is set to go live or if they're even, they may not be tokenizing their fund or maybe they are tokenizing their fund. We need a little bit more info on that to have the full clarity, but they did announce that they will be conducting both a Reg D and a Reg S token offerings. So I guess based off that, they, they will be tokenizing their fund as well as investing in digital assets. So it's cool. It's going to be exciting. I think that again, we're, we're psyched to see funds entering into the market. Any additional capital that is going to be participating on the secondary or the demand of the buy side is good because there are some interesting applications for security tokens. And, and we have seen that, that investors kind of need to wrap their head around what these products are, how they're structured and how they function. But as guys that, that pretty much spend our time day in and day out doing it. Herwig, I know that we both have seen many assets that we're excited about moving forward, and maybe some of them we'll talk about in our predictions episode. Definitely sounds like it could be interesting, but there's you know, a lack of information in terms of their investment strategy and, and what you're overall getting as an investor, but uh, and I'm sure we'll learn more over time, and of course, uh, you'll get us that coverage, Kyle, I have of no course. doubt. Of course, always. And moving into the market, we're talking about secondary trading. We're talking about what tokens are live on exchanges. We do have six live tokens on secondary markets. We've covered them many times before. But the, the top of the market here, the top of the line, is that our total security token market cap is sitting at $58 million right now, which is up from the $50 million that we saw last week. Right. So it's, it's up almost 15%, which is great news. And the main driver of the rise this week was actually from T0. So we had, it had a crazy, crazy week this week um, because in the span of four days, it closed at $0.83. Cents, then the next day was $1.30. Then it came back down to $0.95 cents, and then back up to $1.30 again. So the $1.30 price is the first time that the shares have actually closed above $1 since mid-November of 2019. When it closed at around $1.03, it hasn't hit $1.30 since I think it was October. So um, on top of the sporadic price volatility, we did see a huge trading day last week with over 70000 US dollars in trading volume, um, which was also the most that we saw since November. The trading volumes have definitely been low over the last week just because it's the holidays and, and many markets, public markets are closed. So um, there wasn't a ton of activity. Don't don't know how that ex that that probably explains the eighty three one thirty ninety five one thirty situation is maybe their order books are are pretty thin so we're seeing a little bit of slippage here or there but again they are seeing strong volume and, and there does seem to be investor interest so that's obviously a very good sign in terms of other tokens as we've seen pretty consistently in twenty nineteen not a ton of volume on the other live tokens. Maybe be because of many factors, whether it's infrastructure, whether it's investor interest, whether it's, it's quality of asset, 
who's to say, but we did have a few thousand dollar sell-off of Spice VC tokens on January 2nd, which is the first trading action that, that Spice has seen in the last couple of weeks. Other than that, everything else stayed pretty flat over the week, um, aside from, you know, Earlier, I think it was Christmas Eve, as we mentioned, Lottery.com did experience a huge sell-off itself. So that was that was the biggest news of, of the holiday season. Since then, we haven't seen a ton of, of activity on any of these exchanges. That's awesome. Great to hear. You know, as usual, T0 maintains the kind of high-volume leader, if you can call it that. And I do know, Kyle, that you're working hard on getting a couple other markets online so we'll get even more data to talk about so uh, you know as we expect hopefully we'll see some new listings and some more exchanges get added over time here absolutely expect in january i think i can say relatively confidently we're going to be trying to implement um, many of the realty issued properties we've mentioned them before they certainly have been generating a ton of buzz through their properties where they're delivering daily rent to their investors um, through properties that are independently managed and sold and we're working with Uniswap, the exchange that that's being traded on, to integrate their API onto our platform as well, uh, which is you can't really find that anywhere in the world right now, so we're psyched about no, that. No, you one. certainly can't. And I do know that over the last couple of months, we've seen a couple of press releases here and there, some of expected tokens to get added to T0 and OFN, so hopefully we'll see some movement there too. All right, Herwig. Well, we're, we're at that time in the episode where we can dig into our main topic a little right. bit. Main topic this week, as we mentioned, is our predictions for 2020. So we may have a couple things that we try to keep practical, maybe have a few hot takes there to, to just kind of go out on a limb and see what, see what happens. Uh, but Herwig, I'm excited to hear what are your predictions for 2020? You know, last year... We, we had the chance to review 2019 in episode 23, as you said, but we only started the show in June. So we actually didn't get the chance to really do a prediction at the beginning of the year. I think it's fun that we get to do this exercise. We may find that we are, you know, hopefully actually accurate because we do understand and are plugged into the space. But we may also find ourselves a little bit laughable when it comes to some of these uh, hot takes, as you say, Kyle, we'll see. Hopefully we keep it interesting. And of course, we always love to hear your predictions and feedback. So reach out to us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or, or even via email with your feedback and your own predictions. We, we'd love to hear them. For me, you know, I've got a couple across the board here, starting, of course, with legal clarity, specifically from the USA. I'm expecting that this year we will see some kind of legal action passed, whether it be via the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 that we had discussed, whether it's actually a regulatory response by the SEC or the CFTC, or even if it's going to be a different bill that is, has yet to be even introduced to Congress. I know we're going to see something in 2020 uh, as a result of both China, Libra, and uh, demand from the industry for, for some kind of legal clarification here. And when that does happen, Kyle, I, believe, I do believe that this will be a major revival for both the crypto and blockchain industry and will act as a signal to the world that the U.S. is and will remain very active within this space. Uh, and I believe that's the message that they'll be trying to send with that. Uh, and then, you know, I think we're all hoping for something like that. An increase in, in those crypto markets is certainly sought after, I know, by many in the space. Next, uh, next prediction that I have, Kyle, is I believe that specifically over 100 different private markets and exchanges will come about to help create liquidity for tokenized securities, either you know, by managed through these third parties like private broker networks or exchanges with ATSs, or more likely by the issuers themselves. In fact, I think probably close to 70% of them will be issuer managed and the remainder will then be facilitated through these marketplaces. Uh, and I only would, would uh, acknowledge this because security token technology makes it easier to manage your own market and many companies will not be ready to give up that price control per se to get listed on a third party in exchange for having that liquidity that if you, you do if you theoretically list on an exchange. So I, I believe we're going to see both private and sort of these exchange markets arise. And on that notion, I believe we'll see sort of one of those examples of one of those private issuer managed markets be one of the very first tokenized employee stock option pools or TSOPs 
in the 50 to $100 million range. So, uh, you know, this is truly a real private market of size and demand. Uh, and who knows, maybe those tokens will even make the, their way onto third-party exchanges. Of what's getting tokenized out there, Kyle, I think bonds will be the most tokenized asset, and that's only due to the enterprise usage by banks. We saw the end of the year, we saw the Bank of China issue a $2.8 billion bond. We've seen several bonds get piloted and tested by some major, major banks across the world. So that is my expectation that that will be the, the largest source of tokenization. But real estate, I think, will become the second most tokenized and actually the more actively traded asset on accessible marketplaces that aren't exclusive to the banks. Uh, and because the, the bonds that are being tokenized will be more for transparency purposes and for an improved efficiency between banks, not necessarily to create third-party liquidity with outside parties, but real estate surely will take advantage of that primarily. And if I have to put some numbers to, to where my mouth is, I'd say that next year, Kyle, I think we're probably going to see over $10 billion in, in primary tokenizations, either of STOs of new, new security issuances or taking existing assets and tokenizing them. And I believe the secondary market will grow and will we'll use the data behind STM as our sort of benchmark uh, to, to surpass what I believe will be over a billion dollars in market cap. But I do believe that the actual trading volume, Kyle, is going to be less than 5% uh, of the total market cap. We're talking about roughly mm -hmm. 50 million in, in total trades. And, and I think that's simply consistent with what we've seen uh, already on, on based on STM's data here that you know you have of the assets that are trading you don't get daily turnover so the the right. chances are that we're going to see very very active markets like say in the cryptocurrency space I, I don't think is the case I think it's going to be closer to what we see in the public markets if not worse because we're talking about traditionally illiquid assets I don't think that there will be adoption of any one major protocol. Uh, as you just mentioned, yet another one today with Mount Pelerin. Uh, there are dozens of protocols out there, and many of them have a different focus, whether it be by asset class or by feature or simply by blockchain and the technology that they offer, uh, and simply the, the, that it's too soon for one uh protocol to sort of become majorly adopted. The reality is because I think we're going to see a lot of different exchanges. As a result, we're going to see a lot of different exchanges support a lot of different specific protocols. And there will be some protocols that are very specific on a, a specific type of asset or security, while others focus on broad adoption. And as a result, it's going to be you know a continued race, I believe, at least for the next several years before we start to see some major, major uh, token protocols become a mainstream standard, if you will. And to say kind of something provocative uh, on that is I believe that there will be no major investment banks to jump into the space in 2020. What I mean by that is we obviously have seen a lot of big banks already participate, but when it comes to the major investment banking divisions of, say, Goldman Sachs or, or J.P. Morgan and the like, they are not going to be issuing or brokering any security tokens at least until there is a more proven market and really a more monetizable demand that exists for them to pursue, which I believe it currently does not, and nor will it show itself in 2020, but perhaps uh, certainly in, in 2021 or the years after. I don't, however, think that that means that there won't be any publicly tokenized traded stock. I do believe we're going to see the first suspects appear, whether it's an example of the overstock dividend that has been trying to, to get released whether it's the INX IPO that, that Kyle has given some good coverage on before, or whether it's the Provenance uh, blockchain protocol, which Mike Cagney, the founder, has mentioned previously before that they have considered going public in order to, to create a highly distributed uh, blockchain protocol. But it might, of course, also be a, a company we've never even heard of yet. And just to finish up, a couple more of my predictions here, Kyle. We will, we will also see, I believe, a major hotel chain explore tokenization either by doing a securitization of their portfolio of, of properties 
whether it's by issuing debt against their, their portfolio to, to raise money and utilize, or if it's actually tokenizing specific upcoming construction projects for new institutions and others to participate in too. I'm not talking about a boutique. I'm not talking about a marquee property. I'm talking about an actual major hotel chain looking at this from a, a major uh, game-changing perspective. I also think, speaking of provenance a little bit earlier, that we are also going to see the first securitization of loans that are all completely originated on-chain from Figure specifically next year. They've already lent $750 million uh, to date, all originated on-chain. That is a, a healthy securitization size. They have no signs of stopping. So, And I know that part of the, the value proposition that Mike Cagney is bringing to market is, of course, efficiencies within securitization. So it only is an expectation that he's going to want to prove that with his, his portfolio here. And I believe that we're going to see something that as soon as this year. And finally, my last prediction for 2020, Kyle, is that security token infrastructure companies, which we've been tracking quarter by mm -hmm. quarter, how much they raise in acquisitions and the like, that they're going to raise over $200 million, $200 million next year, specifically Q2, Q3 being the, the focus of that as companies start to seek their growth rounds as the industry starts to show real promise and growth. I can see that. So I, I have a bunch there, Kyle. We have these written down and marked down. I'm certainly hoping to be right on all of them, but I don't expect such <laughs> things to be. I'm looking forward to reviewing it at the end of the year, but I also want to know, do you find any major ones that you disagree with me here? Or are you mostly on the same page? And I know that you have a bunch of predictions that I'm sure are on a similar level, so I'll, I'll go ahead and hand you the mic here. Yeah, we certainly have some that I think are are relatively overlapping that we can dig into a little bit later. The one that I think I love that, that may, may or may not happen in 2020, um, that I hope does, but, but it's something that I could see being a maybe 2021 revolution is, is the ESOP plan. I love TSOPs, I love ESOPs, but I think that that's still really early for a company to feel confident enough to actually issue that. Um, again, I wish. I hope that they will. Um, but but that's one that's like I feel like we, we did an episode on TSOPs, tokenized employee stock option plans or pool. Um, and uh, so definitely go check that out if you don't know exactly what we're talking about. But essentially, you know, with an employee stock option plan, you've got all of your employees that have some shares. If you can tokenize that, then you can have so much – you have a much better ability of – paying dividends to those employees, of being able to manage all of those shareholders, of being able to possibly even do some kind of governance, um, as well as regionalized profit sharing, so many other different things, uh, maybe even secondary liquidity for, for some of those employees, um, or collateralized loans based off of their stock. There's a lot of great options you can do there, um, but um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to happen because it is very ambitious. Um, but I love it. I love it. I love all of your other uh, predictions here. I think that I think that the the two hundred million dollar figure for infrastructure I think is very fair. Um, I, I think that that's definitely one that I'm looking forward to. I have a similar uh, kind of number that I'll be talking about in my predictions, and the rest I think you've done a great job. I'd love for all these to happen. Um, but moving into to mine, I'd love to get your feedback on mine too. The first one I actually took started a similar note with with the fact that I do also think that regulators in the U.S. will draft some kind of regulation surrounding stablecoins and at least specifically crypto securities, which is the, the wording that they used in the Crypto Securities Act or whatever that one was, was called we talked about before. Um, and I think that, that they're doing that because they need to provide additional context when dealing with a lot of these tokenized assets. I also think that this will be driven by Libra's attempts to launch just because Libra and Facebook obviously have so much pull and, and there's been so much government pushback and regulatory pushback that they will feel the need that they need to start really defining what is and what isn't allowed. However, I am a little bit more conservative than, than your original prediction in the sense that I'm not sure if it will get passed in 2020. I think that some, certainly something will get drafted and maybe go to the House. Um, but whether this actually gets passed or whether it continues to be a work in progress until 2020, I can't say with any certainty. 
I do say in 2020 that I think that the, whatever they do draft, I think it's more likely than not that regulators will err on the side of defining a much wider basket of assets as securities, regardless of if there's an argument for them being commodities or underpinned currencies. And so the example here is the Stable Coins Act that a lot of people haven't been psyched about, where essentially there was a, a rumored bill being drafted that proposed by, I think, a few senators that, that essentially suggested that all stable coins are securities. And many people felt that, that was not fair because a stable coin, by definition, shouldn't be something that you'd expect to appreciate in value. And it also only hampers the, the ability to use this thing as a currency if it is considered a security. However, I do think that they'll likely be a little bit more cautious than not. It seems like that's the path that they want to take. Um, whether cautious in terms of not including or, or not being quite as inclusive or taking their time. It's going to be one or the other. They're either going to wait till 2021 or 2022, or they're going to define more things than not as securities and then maybe over time roll them back. Um, but, but I just can't see them coming out with like super crypto-friendly laws yet. We'll see. Would you define Cryptocurrency Act of 2020 as friendly or as wide? I defining? would probably define that as, as friendly. I, I, th- I think that it's – I would love for that to pass, but I – find that to probably be a little bit more uh, friendly than what I'm expecting. And if that is what gets passed, that would be fantastic. In terms of defining crypto commodities and defining cryptocurrencies, love that. I just, I just, just don't think it's going to It's happen. hard for me to yeah. see it, especially because crypto commodities was their definition for ICOs and, and of the like. And many of those really, I don't think, deserve to be anything other than unregistered securities. And so that's why I do think it will be hard for that to pass, especially with how much pushback there's been for Libra. Uh, if this thing actually picks up some momentum, I think that those same critics of Libra will will uh, will likely raise their voice to, to that as well. Um, but we'll see. It's, there's always so many opportunities. And especially, I think that if other jurisdictions lead by example and maybe pass different um, regulations or, or maybe larger financial jurisdictions like the UK or Germany, some of these larger economies, if they can pass very friendly crypto securities laws, potentially that will encourage the U.S. to be a little bit more open-minded. But when they have the ability to be the leader and, and define it how they want it, I, I, I do fear to a little bit of a degree that they'll be a little bit more um, a little bit more hesitant to acknowledge some of those things as non-securities. But considering we're in security tokens, we spend all of our time working with securities. If they can give us any legal definition for a security token or a digital asset that is, is, is created based off of a underlying real-world asset, I would be psyched. So that, I think that that's still super positive. This right is a, a, a topic not about what we want, Kyle. It's about our predictions for 2020. <laughs> so, you know, you, you have to keep it clear. All right. Moving forward, institutional debt and fixed income securities will not be available on public markets. Unfortunately, I think that they will still be insider institutional deals, but I do think that many of these debt securities will be fully originated on the blockchain, which paves the way for future public access. So I think in 2020, you're not going to have access to the, you know, the Franklin Templeton tokenizing however many billion of their assets. I don't think any of those things will be available to the public. I think they're going to be very institutional, very, very uh, tightly knit, partially because they just need to test it. They need to see how this thing functions on a low volume level between institutions of high volume to cover the costs. Right, it only it needs to make sense for them on a on a small um, but lo- you know small in terms of volume but high transaction size deals. I think that's what it's going to look like in 2020, um, and then maybe in in the future they will offer more public issued debt options. Moving forward into something a little bit more positive, because those first two weren't, weren't quite in that direction, I do think that Spencer Dinwiddie's Dream FanShares fan platform, we talked about this before, which was the, the issuance platform that tokenized his, his NBA contract, where investors could invest actually in his performance-based incentives, which if you were investing, you would actually have seen a very successful investment because he's been playing great. I think that that FanShares platform is going to tokenize five new tokens in 2020, with three in the NBA, he's going to get a couple more NBA players because we we did hear um, that that a lot of NBA there was a lot of player interest in investing in this token, which is exciting, and uh, and so I think that many of them will be interested. I think there's going to be one in the MLB, 
as well as one that's in the entertainment industry. So I think he's actually going to successfully be able to branch out from sports and be able to tokenize some kind of entertainers rights to future profits or something along those lines in terms of maybe their their writing credits or their royalties or something along those lines. I think that we will see a, a musician or an actor or something successfully implement this strategy as well. I see the tokenized rental properties industry is going to explode into a, I'm going to call it a $100 million industry by the end of 2020, because for the first time, investors all around the world will have the ability to diversify their mortgages across properties all around the world, which allows them more price stability because they no longer have to you know, rely on their specific property's value increasing or decreasing. It allows for risk management because you can invest not only in in your local area, you can invest in your entire country or in other countries as well to, to help prevent risk, as well as perpetual income. Because if you're if you're taking you know a piece of, of your mortgage or whatever and selling it and then buying into some of these rental properties, even after you've paid off your mortgage, you're still getting that rental income from the properties that you, you diversified for yourself. So you, you do get perpetual income in that scenario as well. And I think that that's going to be a very attractive investment offering for, for many investors, especially at the, the prices that we're seeing where you're, you can pay 60 or 100 bucks to buy a share. It's, it's manageable for, for most people to, to throw some money into that and, and get that perpetual rental income. So I think that that's going to be a fantastic use case and one that, that definitely blows up. We saw Bitbond is launching a similar strategy as well. We we've already talked about Realty doing this. I think they've got four properties now. And I think this is only going to increase in 2020. I also think that on-chain on-chain origination will allow for mortgage-backed securities and many other securitization products to thrive. Excuse me. And so when you hear mortgage-backed securities, your alarm bells should go off. And that's understandable. The main reason why that happened is because there was a lack of transparency of the underlying collateralized mortgages. And so with blockchain origination, I think that we will have the ability to have full information transparency, which removes the risk of that third party fraud, because anyone can look at a portfolio of loans and be able to analyze based off of many of those statistics in terms of how much that person is making, how much the property's worth, what's their down payment, what's the mortgage, and be able to actually evaluate what that property looks like and how much that thing actually what that risk profile looks like. You're going to see blogs that pop up of people just analyzing this stuff. You're going to have paid paid uh, reports that you can buy that, that really dig into this stuff. And you're going to have that accountability that we didn't see in 2008 where all you had was these rating firms that just spent time trying to um, trying to stuff their own pockets. So I think that, that mortgage-backed securities will be very successful as long as they're properly structured. While... These will be successful. I do think that under collateralized loans and lending vehicles that are secured by improper or highly correlated assets are going to be very unsuccessful. So I think that there's going to be a lot of buzz on under collateralized loans, which is maybe something that we did see in 2008 as well when you saw the, the ninja loans where it was no income, no job loans. Um, or when you see securitization of a product by another product that's highly correlated. So when one goes down, the other one goes down. So it's not really insured by anything because if it fails, you don't have anything to back it up with. Um, I think that some of those potential options are, they're attractive for people because they're the, the cheapest and they're the most widespread. It's, e it's much easier to find correlated assets to secure to, secure to a, a, a debt product. Um, but I think that that's very taxing for the economy, and I do think it will be unsuccessful. Hopefully unsuccessful, meaning no investor interest, but potentially there will be people that lose money by participating in those products. We also have my, my numbers on, on the issuance size and the market size. I think that security token issuance will surpass $500 million in 2020, while I do think that the total trading volume is not going to reach $15 million which is about 2.5%. So I actually think that while the industry will explode in terms of tokenized assets, the secondary trading volume is still going to be pretty low. One reason, and the first one that came into my head and what I still believe why the trading volume is going to be low is actually due to token lockup periods in the U.S., which 
where U.S. citizens that, that participate in a Reg D offering actually have to hold their token for 12 months before they can exit, exit onto the public exchanges. And so once we see those assets get tokenized and then those investors get to wait 12 months, then they'll be able to participate in secondary markets. So I think that in 2020, you're going to see a huge increase in tokenized assets. But because these investors are locked in, they actually won't be able to sell them until 2021. Therefore, the secondary market will stay relatively small until 2021, in which case all of these assets can actually hit secondary markets. The only other situation in which it's more successful than that in 2020 is if we see more clarification on the Reg D and Reg S exemptions. Because if you're aware, Reg S is for international investors, Reg D is for US investors, and Reg S, they actually only have a six-month lockup period as opposed to a Reg D. And a token, if you're raising for a property or raising for an asset, you can do simultaneously a Reg D for U.S. investors and a Reg S for international. And so it doesn't make a ton of sense that international investors get to sell six months before the Reg D U.S. investors. So there's potentially an opportunity where the SEC, who has solicited feedback in the past and we have provided to them on this specific rule change, there's an opportunity for maybe them to clear that up, in which case this prediction could be lowballing it. But regardless, I don't necessarily see that happening, and I do think that it will be low until 2021. Let's make it clear and consistent for the users, Kyle, for our do listeners it. here. Clarify it. You need to put your money where, where your mouth is when it comes to a primary tokenization number, because it sounds like, I don't know what you mean by security token issuance of $500 million. Do you mean $500 million will be trading on secondary market? Is that a market cap? Is that a tokenization number? You know, those are all very, very different. I think there would be five hundred million dollars in assets tokenized publicly, so that we we because there's look there's a lot what does of that mean? <laughs> well there's a lot of there's a lot it's it's a great question and and maybe it's not specific enough um, but there's there's potentially so many of these deals that are happening behind closed doors that we don't have access to, and and we can't necessarily account for any of those deals that we have no familiarity in what they're looking like. So I'm going to say that, that public security tokens are going to be able to raise $500 billion in 2020. So you're so saying... So via Reg D, Reg S, they're going to successfully raise from the public $500 million for securitized assets. You're saying STOs. Yes. Now what about secondary sales of existing assets? Yeah, so I have you're saying I have if I had to that. equate it, right, mm-hmm. you're, I'm saying there gonna, there's going to be $10 billion in tokenization. You're saying there's $500 million. Right. Yeah, well, that, it does seem a little bit low, but let's go with it. That's my numbers. So no, 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 um, I'm just making sure that we got your numbers clear, Kyle. Um, it seems low now that I think about it. Um, but uh, I might bump it up just to, to the, the flat $1 billion. I think that there's going to be a $1 billion in tokenized assets, um, including both STOs and secondary sales of those assets. And you noted earlier in the episode today, there's a currently a 58 million total market cap size. At one point in time, it was actually twice that. What would you say your high for the total secondary market cap? And we're going to, again, use the STM mm-hmm. data as our benchmark. Would you say for 2020? So are we going to say the high, the high. at any point at in any 2020? Point. At any point. Interesting. Um, I think that the high of the market cap for security tokens in 2020 it will hit, I think that the, the high of the public market cap will hit 500 at some point in the, uh, in the 2020. I'm not sure if it will close there, um, but it will hit 500 million at some point in 2020. Write that down. We got it. How about you? Did you define that already? I did, I did. My did number is 10 billion in tokenization, um, and it is a billion in the secondary market cap. Right. And your volume, you, you mentioned, was $15 million. So roughly um, of the, the $500 million market cap, about 2.5%. I was yeah. saying roughly 5%. So uh, I guess if you want to compare, I'm a little bit more op- uh, optimistic on the size of the market as well as the overall volume. Um, but uh, now that we got that clear, I know you have a couple more predictions for us. Yeah, yeah, no, just a few more here. I think I got two left. Uh, the first one here, the penultimate, if you will, is that exchanges will begin to sec- specialize in specific asset types in order to maximize liquidity for their investors. And so, what we've seen today is that 
exchanges will say, oh, we'll take any asset. We can trade anything. doesn't matter what it is as long as it's high quality. And I love that theory and I love the ability to be able to trade anything. But I do think that the reality is that generalist, generalist exchanges will struggle to provide the tightest bid-ask spread compared to specific exchanges of specific assets, asset classes rather. And they may be subject to, to some sort of slippage while the exchanges that focus only on debt or real estate or equities will probably succeed more so in building that reputation with their investors in terms of you know you can go to X exchange and see all of the best debt instruments or you can go to this specific exchange that, that has all of the early stage startup equities or whatever. Um, I think that that's also an effective strategy to get acquired. It's also something that we saw in the tech bubble in the 2000s, and uh, I don't see it deviating much in this industry, um, despite the fact that you can trade it anywhere. There will be some generals that succeed, but I think that mostly the most successful ones, they will try to specialize in a specific asset. Would you say that this is more of, of the exchanges that go live, the ones that focus will have higher trading volume, or the ones that focus will have a better bid-ask spread for assets. What would you say is your... I think those two things go hand in hand. hand. I think that, that, that having a high trading volume allows for a lower bid-ask spread. Um, so, But they may not have the highest volume by asset or whatever, um, but it, certainly they will have the most concentrated volume. I certainly think that they will prioritize bid-ask spread, but I do think that volume will be at least in some way correlated with the bid-ask spread for sure. And that the exchanges that focus will, are more likely to succeed than the generalists. I think so. Year. I think so. You, you, I think there's an opportunity for one or two generalist exchanges, maybe a decentralized exchange or something where you just know that no matter what, you're going to be able to exchange this thing. Um, but in the same way that we may see regionalized security token exchanges, even though we don't necessarily need regional jurisdiction, we don't need a U.S. exchange and a Chinese exchange, I do think it's more likely that you're going to see U.S. users participating on a U.S. exchange and Chinese users participating on a Chinese exchange just because that's what you're familiar with, and it's likely um, going to make more sense that way for those exchanges to do that. Um, but they will be interoperable, as we said. I think that that's always going to be a key is that they're operating on the blockchain, they're leveraging the same protocols, and uh, it will be an advantage to them to be able to 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 work together. Um, I think so. that I'd say we're in line with with my prediction that there's going to be a hundred different plus types of exchanges right. in marketplace. Yeah, in absolutely. The I same. Think that I didn't give an exact number, but I do think feel the same way that yep. it's not yep. just going to be one or two that that dominate. I think finally we're going to see a hundred million dollars in infrastructure acquisitions in the security token space in 2020. Right. So it's a little bit different than than yours in terms of, of 200 million in funding or, or raising rounds. I do think that we're going to see some companies that will um, they will successfully raise capital, and some will do that absolutely. But I also think that many that want to enter into the security token space may just acquire. Uh, because that essentially allows them to kind of fast track their way into the space, whether it's for acquiring licenses like broker dealers or ATSs or things like that, or maybe it's just the the intros or the partnerships or, or many of those other pieces, of the technology that they don't want to have to build out a whole another issuance platform or X, Y, and Z. I do think that we will see acquisitions of many of these smaller firms that maybe weren't able to necessarily stay afloat and uh, and or the, even if it's a successful acquisition that, that's at a premium, it, it, the $100 million number does seem relatively, you know, modest, but I think it's good. And I think that many of these smaller firms will kind of conglomerate, if you will, um, into to one kind of, you know, again, similar, similar thing to uh, regional exchanges in terms of they'll kind of start to conglomerate based off of what they're, where they're specializing. So... There's nothing wrong with early exits, and I, I, I hope you know that's another healthy sign of an ecosystem when you're seeing lots of company raising money and lots of acquisitions and mergers happening. And both those statistics we track in our quarterly reports, so it'll be easy to, to see just how accurate we are in our, our predictions on these Absolutely. two. That sounds to me, Kyle, that we are, are a lot on the same same page and, and a little different on some of the other stuff. Like legally, it, I think I, I'm very pro the fact that we're going to see some kind of legislation move forward. I'd say it's safe to say you're not very confident that something will happen in 2020. But if it does, that it's going to be something very broad. 
Um, I, I think uh, you know we're we're both in agreement that there's going to be large private networks, specifically by the institutions and the banks trading debt and fixed income securities and things like that. Uh, makes total sense to me. Um, very excited. I did not make a specific prediction on the what, what we call sports finance, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's very cool. It'll be interesting to see if there are any other industries that end up, if there's a, a competitive platform that ends up coming out, or uh, if that number gets blown away, perhaps, by, by the number That'd of the contracts that come to market. Um, and you know, I, I'm certainly in agreement with a lot of the other stuff you said regarding you know rental markets and, the, and things like that, leveraging tokenization for sure. Um, I'm a little bit potentially in a disagreement with your, your mortgage-backed security statement as there's a big debate in the community regarding how you can actually leverage this, being around the fact that your loans need to be originated from the get-go mm-hmm. in order to actually leverage. And so therefore, you can't just take an, an existing basket uh, and start to leverage some of those same efficiencies. So without knowing many other lenders that have been originating on-chain other than figure, I don't see anybody else next year, that would be my prediction, mm-hmm. using securitization other than figure. Um, and of course, our numbers vary a little bit in the data for the predictions of the market, which is, of course, making things a little bit more interesting for when we do the end of the year review. Absolutely. But uh, overall, you know, very, uh, very much so, more or less expected, Kyle. Cool. Well, I think excited. that's a wrap. That was a, that's that was a, a healthy episode, and, and we had a lot of fun talking about our predictions. We'll have to see how that performs in uh, in the end of 2020 and, and, uh, and I again, hope that there's many other great positives that we couldn't even see coming. Absolutely and again please let us know if you're listening your feedback on our predictions what you think where you think we're wrong and right and of course if you have your own predictions that you missed if we think they're worth mentioning we'll bring them up in next week's episode so as Kyle said that's a wrap thanks everyone for listening to the first episode of the new year and I hope to uh, be speaking to you next week. 